Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, November 2nd. What a fun way to kick off the final month of the 2020 professional tennis season. It was a fantastic championship weekend of action, of course, on today's podcast. I want to talk about how Andre Rublev has continued to solidify his case to be named the 2020 ATP Player of the Year. He captures another title this weekend at the ATP 500 level in Vienna. We'll talk about his performance. Also want to talk about the action we saw in Nur Sultan, John Millman, capturing the first title of his ATP career. We also got to see the Spaniards continue to look oh so good on clay. A couple of fun ITF results I want to talk about as well. And then, of course, we will preview this week ahead, touch on some of the other biggest storylines going on right now in the professional tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on our Crack Rackets podcast, not only because of the amazing support we get from you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family. And by the way, if you'd like to join that family, just go to patreon.com. Go search Cracked Rackets. I promise uh, it will be worth your while. And of course, we are eternally grateful for the continued support so many of you show us. We are also so grateful for the love we get from our friends over at Midwest Sports and Aerobar who make these shows possible. Of course, here at Cracked Rackets, we try to live by a philosophy. We want to look good on court. We want to feel good on court so that we ultimately play good on court. And the reason we're able to do that because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. You go to MidwestSports.com. You'll find everything you need from a tennis equipment standpoint, all of the best brands, all of the best deals as well, and you'll get an even better deal. If you use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and of course, best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Just go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15. Of course, go to AeroBar.com, use the promo code CRACKED15 if you want to order up yourself a case of the only tennis-specific energy bars on the market, more potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavor, and of course, comes with a podcast, our Getting to the Point episodes where we focus on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game. Now, I know we haven't had any episodes the past couple of weeks, but that's because we've been planning about what these next few weeks, these next few months are going to look like. We have some really fun guests in store for all of you listeners, so the way you can go support our friends at Aerobar, make sure these uh, episodes end up happening, go to aerobar.com, use that promo code CRACKED15, and again, look good, feel good, play good, Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. All right, with that in mind, just going to be me steering the ship in case you haven't noticed, although I don't think it's you know beyond me to go on a three-minute monologue before introducing a guest. Certainly, I've done it in the past, but it will just be me steering the ship. I'm going to drag Jamie back on the show at some point this weekend. Get ready to hear from our entire Cracked Rackets crew, Chris Halioris, Matt Stachowiak. We've, we've got some fun things planned, folks. We're getting ready to shift into off-season mode. We're getting ready to really gear up, amp up our college tennis content. We are hoping to 
the 2021 indoor season and dual match season starts on schedule. Uh, We want to have all of you listeners prepared for that, so be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for some really fun announcements today on the Cracked Rackets front. We've got two new new writers joining our team. You'll be able to see those press releases. We'll get into that more later in the week uh, as their new content becomes available, but really exciting things happening here at Cracked Rackets. So that's a little bit of an update on what we are up to. Of course, if you want to check out any of our content, be sure to go to the website, CrackedRackets.com. With that in mind, though, let's talk about this past weekend's action. And let's start in Vienna, where again, Andre Rublev continues to solidify his case as... Do you want to say the best player? Maybe not, because he didn't win a Grand Slam. Obviously, Djokovic, Nadal, team capturing the three slams competed at in 2020. But week in, week out... Has there been a better player? Has there been a more promising player than Andre Rublev? I would say no. And unfortunately, given the way the rankings point, some of the protections have stayed on uh, the rankings list. It's impossible uh, to judge him by the ATP race, right? He clinched his spot for the year-end finals with his title here in Vienna. But let's just look at the stats for Andre Rublev over these past couple of weeks. I mean, obviously, it's his third ATP 500 title of the season, the only player since the 2009 format, when this format was introduced, excuse me, uh, here's the list of players who have done that since the format was indu- introduced in 2009. Uh, Djokovic, Ferrer, Federer, Murray, team. Uh, Federer did it again, and then Del Potro is the only guy to know uh, to win four ATP 500 titles in the same season. But Andre Rublev, if that's the list you're joining, that's some awfully impressive company. This is not a fluke performance. You only do this when you're in the midst of a very special season. Obviously, that's what Andre Rublev is in. You look at what he's done this year. He, uh, you know, this is from Enrico Riva. Rublev has won five of the twelve tournaments he's entered in 2020, and you know, early in this uh, during the quarantine. We talked about some of the best three season peaks for these top players. Winning five of the 12 tournaments you enter, that's pretty close to what those guys were doing during their best seasons. Now, of course, he didn't do it at the slams, but he did win events indoors and outdoors on hard courts. He also won an event on clay. He didn't lose to anyone outside of the top 40 this season. And in the tournaments he won, he dropped a total of six sets. So again, five titles, only six sets lost in the run to those titles. With this victory, as I mentioned, not only does he qualify for the ATP finals. He passes Novak Djokovic for a tour best five titles in 2020. Excuse me. He ties Djokovic with an ATP best 39th win of 2020. And of course, it's his 15th win in a row at ATP 500s. He improves to 19-1 since the start of that Hamburg Open, where of course he went on to beat Tsitsipas in the final there. I mean, just objectively, this is a guy in the midst of a special season. I mean, you look at the list of Russian tennis players. This comes from at only Roger can fly. The list of Russian tennis players to make five or more finals during a season. You have Medvedev did it last year with nine finals. Yuzhny did it in 2010. Davidenko, Safin, and Kafilnikov. Again, that's exactly the sort of title or company you're looking to join in terms of what he's done now at the ATP 500s, winning three consecutive titles. The only other players to do that since 2009. Del Potro did it in 2013. As I mentioned, Nadal did it in 2012 and 2013. Djokovic 2009. Andy Murray won four in a row in 2016, 2017, and then Federer won five in a row in 2014, 2015. If you're on a list with Delpo, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, and Federer, you're doing 
something right. And again, 15 consecutive victories. He joins, joins those guys for the longest win streak since 2009. Simply put, Andre Rublev has been the most consistent player of this 2020 season. And of course, this season, unlike anything else, we didn't have the usual rigors of the season. We didn't have the extensive clay court season where Rafael Nadal, more than likely, given what we saw at the French Open, would have asserted himself, would have ripped off three, four more titles, perhaps, and built up his win count. And we didn't get to see the extended hard court summer. We didn't get to see, you know, the Rogers Cup in, I don't remember if it's in Montreal or Toronto this year. We didn't get to see any of the action at the City Open. We didn't get to see any of the grass court action. But in the action we did see, you could count on Andre Rublev to, at a minimum, make the quarterfinals, maybe, of all of these uh, events. I mean, the guy is 39 wins on the season. I think he's something like 39-5, and five, something crazy like that. Obviously, again, he qualifies for the first World Tour Finals of his career. I don't think any of us are going to deny his uh, worthiness to be there. You look, of course, where he's at in the rankings right now. Andre Rublev with this result up to new career high of number eight in the rankings. And, I mean, you look at the names ahead of him. Zverev probably has earned that spot. Tsitsipas, Federer, Team Nadal, Djokovic, they all probably deserve to be ahead of him just based on what they've accomplished the past, I don't know, two years, even if you want to limit it to that much. Andre Rublev has not been as good as those guys over the past two years. But I mean, this run he's had since tennis restarted in August and really throughout the duration of 2020, I think it's just as good as anything Daniil Medvedev did last year. Obviously, Medvedev was stunning uh, on the hard courts during the hard court summer last season, and it culminated with that Grand Slam final. And Rublev didn't make a Grand Slam final, but you look at his losses at the slams this year, you know, he loses that quarterfinal battle to Medvedev at the U.S. Open. He loses a fourth round battle to Zverev at the uh, Australian Open. He loses a quarterfinal battle to Tsitsipas at the French Open. You know, Dominic Team probably a little bit more, or, you know, the only guy who was, I would say, yeah, Dominic Team probably the only guy who was better at the slams this year, more consistently, I suppose, than Andre Rublev. I mean, Djokovic, quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, finals of the French Open, I guess winner of the Australian. Okay, Novak Djokovic, probably number one. I apologize for that. But Rublev, number two, and then you look at the week in, week out. I mean, he played more. He was more consistent, and he did more winning. I think the case for Andre Rublev being the player of the year, and if you want to say Djokovic or team or Nadal because they won at the slams and they were better at their peak this season than Andre Rublev, that's your prerogative. But I look at ATP Player of the Year as an award for the duration of the season. And simply put, I think Andre Rublev has had the best season of any player in 2020. And, you know, outside of Novak Djokovic, with all due respect to Rafa, I don't think he played enough. And Rafa could, if he wins in Paris, if he wins the year on finals, then he probably wins the conversation. But short of that, I think this argument's locked up. I think Andre Rublev has been the most impressive player in 2020. And I think because of that, he deserves the, the award to win player of the year. And of course, you know, to talk about the tennis in Vienna. And I feel like we've talked so much about Andre Rublev's tennis. So just quickly to look at his results down the home stretch, be team six and two in the quarterfinals in that that match, here's the most impressive thing. He made 62% of his first serves, 35 of 39 
on first serve points. He's finding first forehands by, you, first of all, the first serve has gotten more powerful. He hits his spots better. He can go T, he can go wide, he can go kick serve out wide on the ad side. And more, most importantly, he just does such a good job of finding first forehands. And if you let Andre Rublev has a, have a first forehand without confidently he's swinging, I mean, we all grew up with coaches who said, hey, swing harder. I want full racket speed. I don't care if you miss this ball at the tarp. I want you to see the sort of racket speed it takes to hit the sort of ball, the sort of winner you need to win points. Andre Rublev does that on every stroke, and somehow the ball just lands in. I mean, the guy's racket speed is out of this world, and it's starting to apply on the serve now, and he's finding these plus-one forehands. He's comfortable taking balls on the rise, short-hopping them and taking them drive down the line. He's becoming slowly and slowly more comfortable at the net, and really all he ever has to do when he's at the net is make a first volley, and he's gotten a lot better on that first volley. So for him, you know, he's saves both of the two break points he faces. Obviously, team physically struggled down the stretch in that quarterfinal match, but that was stunning from Rublev. Anderson retires in the second uh, in the semifinal match for Rublev, but you know, again, Andre was serving so well in that match. I believe he had not yet been broken uh, before. You know, Anderson ends up retiring. I think six four four one in the second set, and then against Sanego, it's the same deal. He makes sixty percent of his first serves. He drops nine total points on the fifty points he plays. So he goes forty one. One of 50 on service points, 82% for the match, 26 of 30 on the first serve, 15 of 20 on the second serve, saves both of the break points he faces, and then gets the one break he needs in each set to beat Sinego. Lorenzo Sinego, who we're about to talk about, played a great, you know, tried to take it to Andre Rublev, and that's really what you have to do. You have to match him stroke for stroke. You have to take time away from him. You have to be bold and go for your shots, and certainly Lorenzo Sinego bold this weekend. That's a, you know, that's probably uh, underselling just sort of the choices he made in the execution he was able to pull off. But Andre Rublev was the winner this weekend. He was the best player from start to finish in the event. And yeah, things kind of broke perfectly for his draw, but a title well-deserved. Uh, he, again, he's the 2020 player of the year on the ATP Tour. In my book, for Lorenzo Sinego, who obviously has the weekend of a lifetime for him. He became the seventh. These are from Enrico Riva, by the way. He became the 17th lucky loser to reach an ATP final since 1990. Seven of, seven of those 17 managed to win the tournament. By the way, one of those people was Andre Rublev. Only one of them have ever won a 500. That was Leonardo Mayer in 2017. Uh, he's the second lucky loser to ever make the final in Vienna after Hader Maurer uh, did it in 2010. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he becomes the first Italian man to reach the final of a 500 or Masters 1000 on a hard court since current ATP head coach Andrea Gaudenzi did it in Dubai in 1995. That comes from at Rob Uba, and by the way, that doesn't include St. Petersburg, uh, which was bumped up to a 500 this year, but I mean, Lorenzo Snego, you know, to talk about the Djokovic match, because I don't think I have yet, it was 2-1. Djokovic wasn't there. I mean, he had clinched world number one. He came, and in the press conference, he's like, yeah, the motivation was low. I came here, and I did what I needed to do, and now it's time to gear up for the year-end finals. But, I mean, Novak Djokovic doesn't drop three games. What was it, like the fourth time in his career that he had dropped that many games or fewer since 2008 or something crazy like that? I mean, 
Lorenzo Sinego was hitting bold, making bold choices. He was serving big. He was playing big forehands, big backhands down the line. I mean, in terms of his physical profile, is everything you want from a modern player. 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", big weapons from the ground, the big first serve, a fluid mover as well, and can use his length to, you know, track down that extra ball, throw a slice at your feet. He's got good variety, likes to play with the drop shot as well, but, you know, for him, 2-1 and one over Djokovic, 3-4 and four over Dan Evans, who also physically was hurting a little bit at the end of that match, but it was the serve for Sinego. It set everything up that he wanted to do. He went 24 of 30 on his first serve points, 15 of 20 on his second serve points against Dan Evans, and again, he only got broken twice against Andre Rublev. He was right there, and I just mean, you know, shot for shot, power for power. It was just... It was unbelievable to watch. Uh, it was incredible to see Sinego this week. And what's so interesting, you look at tennis abstract coming into the week, and obviously uh, he racks up, I believe, four victories in the round of 32, round of 16 quarterfinals and semifinals. But he was 6-17 and 17 coming into this tournament on hard court uh, in professional level hard, or ATP 250 or higher level matches. His only victories had come over Oscar Ota, uh, had come over Marcel Granollers, Demir Zumher, Martin Klezan, Jills Moeller, and Robin Hassa. And obviously this week he gets wins over the Deuce, Hercots, Djokovic, and Dan Evans. This was a le- week of a lifetime for Lorenzo Sinego, and it's just another great week for Italian men's tennis. Sinego, the 25-year-old, so you know, I'm 25 years old. I like to think I'm just starting my prime. Hopefully, maybe even haven't entered it yet uh, professionally. Lorenzo Sinego up to number 32 in the world with this result. The 25-year-old Italian, exactly where he wants to be. And again, you look for him in his career. He is only, uh, I think, 64 and 56 across futures and challenger level hard court matches as well. So 53% win percentage. It's his lowest across the, you know, three main surfaces. What an incredible week for Lorenzo Sinego. And just, you know, a fun fact. By the way, the last time Djokovic lost to an opponent ranked outside the top 40 was Cecinato in French Open 2018. The sub-top sub 40 players with wins over Djokovic while he's world number one. It was Del Potro at the Olympics. And now Lorenzo Sinego, the only other guy to do it. Uh, of course, just a little fun fact about this tournament. Tennis in a nutshell, right? Sinego lost to Bedene in qualifying. He comes in as a lucky loser. Bedene lost to Dan. Evans in the main draw. Dan Evans loses to Sinego in the semifinals. All three of those matches happen in the same tournament. You gotta love tennis, folks. You just absolutely gotta love it. Uh, but what a result for Lorenzo Sinego. By the way, that fact from at Volley Me Please. Uh, what a great Twitter name, at Volley Me Please. I will volley you, please. I'll volley that fact all the way over to our Cracked Rackets listeners. But great week for Sinego. And it just looks legit. Again, it's everything you want in a modern player. I can't emphasize enough. To be 6'4", 6'5", you just have the inherent advantage. You can get X miles per hour more on your serve. You are just you have that much more length around the court, which we know is that much more important in the modern game. Fantastic result for Lorenzo Sinego. And again, it was a really fun tournament of action. I mentioned Dan Evans there. I think Dan Evans has been our, you know, clearly one of the 20 best players on the season. You look at what he's done on the indoor uh, in the indoor events, what he did early in the season for him. Now he's back up to uh, right around his career high. He's number 31 in the live rankings. His career high is number 28, which he reached, I believe, earlier this season. By any measure, it was a successful season for Dan Evans, who has clearly solidified himself. He's the British male number one right now. It's not Kyle Edmund. It's not Andy Murray. It's Dan Evans, and particularly on an indoor hard court, the guy has looked really good. Assuming he rests up, get healthy, there's no reason he can't go on a similar run in Paris. 
Harris. And then for Kevin Anderson, jokes on all of us for doubt, doubting the six foot eight Anderson on an indoor hard court. I mean, just Medvedev had no weapons against him in that quarterfinal. That second serve, you know, first serve Medvedev was able to hang in there, but when Anderson was able to rip uh, the Medvedev second serve, take control of points, you know, Medvedev did his thing. He makes ten extra balls, but Medvedev also goes seventeen of thirty three on second serve points compared to the fourteen of twenty one for Kevin Anderson. And Medvedev gets broken in that first set. It was the only break in the match. And sometimes when you're playing big boy tennis, one break of serve makes the difference. That was the difference in that one. But Anderson looked good. He finally looks healthy. And I know he had to pull out of that semifinal match, but semifinals is a great result for him. And again, overall, just a really fun weekend of tennis. That Dan Evans-Grigor quarterfinal match on Friday was really, really delightful as well. Some exceptional shot making, some great athleticism. Vienna delivered the goods, folks. We can only help again. And I made this mistake, by the way. Hey, great shot to me on the ace of the day. We have Sophia after this week in Paris. Then we have the year-end championships. I had forgotten about that. But, you know, Vienna for, I think, the last 500 of the season. I think Sophia's just a 250. I'm not really sure. But anyways, it delivered the goods. It was really fun to watch. And clearly, these players are playing good tennis down the home stretch of 2020. At the same time, results clearly getting funky. And don't we love that? as tennis fans but introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com you know, that was the action in Vienna. Let's move on now to Nur Sultan. And again, I I will try and keep this podcast under 30 minutes. I know it's just me talking to you listeners, but it was a busy weekend of action in the professional tennis world. And, you know, in Nur Sultan, we had a first-time tour winner. John Millman wins the first title of his career this According to At Luca Beck, he becomes the seventh oldest to win his first title since 1990. The six guys older than him Jeremy Bates, Wayne Arthurs, Nicolas Mahout, Victor Estrella, Paolo Lorenzi, and Jills Muller. But I mean, for John Millman, he saved two match points in his quarterfinal match against Tommy Paul. In his semifinal match, just a physical battle against Francis Tiafa. I mean, those guys were tracking down absolutely everything. It felt like each each rally was at least 15 balls. I mean, is there anyone who feels more deserving than John Millman, who just has been so out, you know, he's a guy who's grinded his way through the futures, through the challengers, and, you know, he's been so outspoken about wanting to make conditions better at those events so that people who are coming behind him have an easier pathway to the top 100 than he did. And the guy just... I know it's a, you know it's a superficial can't be measurable you know uh, qualitative not quantitative measurable but how can you not feel good for this guy he's a guy who clearly has gotten 110% out of his talent who tracks down every ball and just has he doesn't quit on matches and so you know with all due respect you watch Novak Djokovic quit in that one and two match and you're never going to get John Millman may lose one and two but it's not because he quit it's because you know he doesn't have the talents of some of these other players in the top 100 and yet you know, just a fantastic weekend for him. I mean, again, the three-set win over Tommy Paul. Paul goes up 
two or five zero in the breaker. I think it was five zero in the breaker, and then Millman won seven straight points uh, against Tiafo. Tiafo wins that first set six three. I believe had chances to put away that match in early in the second set, but Millman just hung around. And then against Adrian Manorino again all week long, it's his discipline cross court. And these courts in Nur Sultan were playing so quickly, and it seemed like it was almost more valuable as opposed to hitting to the open court. It, it was more valuable to be unpredictable, to hit behind your opponent, to try and open up these ridiculous angles so that you could just take a ball early and let it glide flat through those courts. Um, but Millman's forehands cross court looked so good all weekend long. It was particularly effective in that seven five six one final over Adrian Manorino. He was just so disciplined. And I mean, you know, it was cross court, cross court, cross court. For Manorino, he he played down the center whenever he played to the Manorino forehand side. He let Manorino be the one to open the court to the outer thirds because, again, you didn't want to give an inch on this surface given how fast it was playing. And just Millman was the more solid of the two. He saves a break point at 5 all to hold four six five, and then he ends up breaking Manorino right back to close out the set. I mean, the rallies in this match were fantastic. I highly recommend if you don't want to go rewatch the match, go watch the YouTube highlights at a minimum on Tennis TV. It was a physical battle, and again, that's what John Millman did so well all tournament long against Tommy Paul, against Tiafo, against Manorino. He never had the biggest weapons, but he just made every match physical, and that's why he's now in the winner's circle. And you got to feel good for the thirty-year-old Millman, right? Who at this point now in the live rankings is back up to number 38, which is five off of his career high of 33. But most importantly, you know, heading into the 2021 season, a season where there's just so much uncertainty. We don't know what the calendar is going to look like. We don't know how many events they're going to be, what level the events are going to be. John Millman doesn't have to worry about any entry lists. He doesn't have to worry about playing qualifying because he's number 38 in the world. He's going to get into whatever event he wants. And again, when you're at that stage of your career, when you're trying to you know, just rack up as many more tournaments as you can before you reach the finish line, this is exactly where you want to be at 31 years old. So credit to John Millman. Hard not to feel amazing for a guy like him who obviously is such a hard worker. Um, again, gets the title this this week. It was a great run for Adrian Manorino who ended the run of uh, Emil Rusevori, who, by the way, this, according to at Luca Beck as well, became the first player from Finland to reach a semifinal in six years uh, when Jarko Niemannen was the last to do it. It was the, uh, you know, it, it it's obviously for Rusevori He's a guy we've talked about, I think, third round at the U.S. Open, one of the young, talented players on tour with his result here, the first semifinal of his career, the 21-year-old, now up to number 84 in the world, which, again, top 100, 21 years old. I'd be happy with it. You'd be happy with it. I'm sure Emil is happy with it. Uh, his game looked powerful. I thought Manorino did a great job of really targeting that backhand in the semifinal, getting him stretched, making that extra ball. Again, that was a physical match as well, but it was a great run for uh young Emil Rusevori to the semifinals. And then for Francis Tiafo, yeah, he should have won that match against John Millman. He really should have. I mean, was won that first set convincingly, was returning really well. I think his racket speed on the forehand has gotten so much better. It, it's not even, you can't even compare it to what it was a year ago, two years ago. He's so much better at handling pace to that side. The return has gotten better as well. But you just, again, 
Mil- he had the weapons. The ball was on Tiafo's racket, but Milman kept asking questions of him, and in the end, Tiafo didn't have enough answers. And again, for Francis, you look at what he's done here down the home stretch of this year. He is back up uh, into the top 60 at number 60 with his result, which is a really good spot to be considering the 22-year-old was about to fall out of the top 100 and honestly might have for a hot second earlier this year, but he's back where he wants to be after this weekend's result. And I don't know if we're seeing him in Paris. I don't think we are, but um, you know, I, th- I think this was a really good week for Francis Tiafo as well. Uh, but of course, that is the action in Nur Sultan. We also had a bunch of really fun challenger and ITF events that I just want to roll through real quick. Uh, let's start at the challenger level where we had two winners on the week. Taro Daniel uh, ends up knocking off Sebastian Ofner in the final 6-1-6-2. Ofner knocked off number one seeded Camille Matrizak, 7-6-6-1. Daniel, a withdrawal from Van de Sanschloop. They had multiple COVID outbreaks last week in Hamburg, had to use their safety and health protocols. Multiple players withdrawn from the event. I believe Van de Sanschloop falls under that category, but they were able to continue the execution of the event. And again, that's what good planning does. If you're prepared for that, the fact that that might happen and all these events need to be prepared for the eventuality that someone in the event may test positive, uh, they were able to continue the event and ultimately Taro Daniel gets another challenger victory. He started his season in January with the title. He now gets one in November. Uh, Obviously, that is awesome for Taro Daniel. And Sebastian Ofner, the young Austrian who spent a lot of time training with Dominic Team during the uh, quarantine, during the six-month layoff. He looked good during the exhibition matches he played, and he has looked good since the tour restart. Keep an eye on the 24, 25-year-old. I think he's 24-year-old Austrian. I think he's he, he hits the ball too big to not continue to think, oh, that guy could definitely spend some time in the top 100. Uh, that was the action in Hamburg in Spain. You know, stop me if you've heard this before. Spanish players, really good on the clay. And, you know, I tweeted this out late last night, and someone asked why I did it. I was just curious. If you're a fan of tennis, who would you rather be a fan of right now, the American men or the Spanish men? Because the American men have more players established in the top 60. Tiafo, Tommy Paul, Sam Query, Tennis Sandgren, uh, T- Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelka, John Isner, uh, all pretty solidly top 60 guys. And for Spain right now, you know, you've obviously got Rafa on the top. You've got Carreno Busta and Bautista Agut. But after that, the well is drying up. You know, Feliciano Lopez, uh, not as great as he once was. Um, for getting another Spanish guy, uh, Fernando Verdasco, not as young as he once was. But, you know, they do have a nice crew on the rise. And obviously, Carlos Alcaraz, the 17-year-old, is the headline of that crew. But guys like Jaume Munar, Pedro Martinez, who competed in the final here in Marbella, Pedro Martinez, a 7-6-6-2 victory to secure his first challenger title since 2018. Of course, we saw him make the third round of the French Open before losing uh, to Sebastian Corda. Uh, but between him, Carlos Taberner, uh, you've got Nicola Cunha, you've got, you know, a bunch of other ones as well. Uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, Burnaby Zapata Morales. And there's a nice crew of talented young Spaniards. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, of course, as well. I'm just, you know, again, the next 10 years, who would you rather be a fan of? Spanish men's tennis or American men's tennis? Yeah, you get the last few years of Rafa. And honestly, it might be five years. Who knows? It could take half the decade. But... 
I think it's a good question. Would love to hear everyone's thoughts. Obviously, if you'd like to share them, feel free to tweet at me at GreatShotPod. But, you know, those were the two challenger events last week. Uh, we also had some really fun ITF action in Tyler, Texas for the women. Listen to these quarterfinals. Clara Tawson, who obviously got the phenomenal win at the French Open, uh, she knocked, uh, or she uh, lost to number seven seed Anne Lee, the talented young American. And just for those of you who are curious, Clara Tawson, and this is actually just me forgetting who she played. This is how, you know, there have been so many matches. She knocked off Jennifer Brady. That's who it was uh, at the uh, French Open here. You know, the quarterfinals were Tawson Lee, Mininkawa, Bellis versus Zadianov. And then, of course, you had Marta Katsuk, uh, Katsuk taking on Sarah Arani in the end. It was Anne Lee knocking off uh, Tawson, Greet Minin, and then Katsuk in the final to capture the title. She now moves into the top 100 for the first time in her career. And obviously, that is awesome place to be. These young American women are so spectacular. I don't need to continue to list them off, but you know the deal by now. Kenan and Anissa Mova and uh, obviously Coco Goff, CeCe Bellis, Katie McNally, Ann Lee. You can go on and on and on and on about how many talented freaking American women there are, uh, and it's going to be a really fun time to be a fan of American women's tennis. By the way, shout out to Marta Kostiuk, champion last week, or made the finals last week uh, before losing to Bellis, makes another final here this week before losing to Lee. CeCe Bellis, winner last week, semi-finalist here this week. She's coming back, folks. She's going to be a top 50 staple for her career as long as she is healthy. It's just a matter of when, not if. So obviously, that was a really fun result. A couple of other fun ITF battles. Kasper Zuk, uh, the talented young Polish player, knocking off our guy Nuno Borges, 6-4, 6-3 in the final. Fourth 25K title for Casper Zouk, uh, and he really should be getting into the challengers uh, level by now. It's just so hard based on the ranking cutoff. Obviously, for Nuno, he's now right around number 400 in the world. First year out of college, given how sporadic events have been for him to even uh, you know rank that high. Usually, when you get to number 400 under a normal season, that means nice. Now I get to start playing challengers. Uh, for Nuno, it's you know these challenger cutoffs are like 250 in the world. But should the tennis calendar ever returned to normal. Nuno's exactly where you want to be, considering he played four years of college tennis. And again, for for Kasper Zuk right now, for those of you curious, uh, the 21-year-old Polish player up to a new career high, number 271 in the rankings. And I think he's got ways to go. I really enjoy his game. Again, he will be progressing past the uh, challenger uh, level event, or past the futures level events very soon. It's just a matter of when, not if the schedule, uh, you know, and should the schedule uh, uh, return to normal, but obviously that was a great result for him. Last one, a guy who is near and dear to our hearts here at Cracked Rackets because he won a Cracked Rackets Open many moons back. Felix Corwin, former Minnesota college standout, gets a three-set victory to win his first professional title of his career in Egypt. Way to go, Felix, and he looked damn good in his diadem gear in the championship photos. Uh, but that was last week's action, and again, it was a really fun week of tennis. This week, a couple of fewer events, but still some fun play for us to enjoy. Obviously, we've got the Masters event in Paris, and you know, seven of the eight spots in the year in championship are locked up, but the guys in competition for that final spot, a guy like Diego Schwartzman, Matteo Berrettini, David Goffin, Pablo Carreno Busta, Milos Raonic, Karen Hatchnoff, Stan Wawrinka, and FAA, all with still mathematical shots at getting to the final. Of course, a bunch of them need players to win. They need to win and then have other players lose, but that's your list of guys for the eighth spot, and 
honestly, no matter who fills the spot, uh, that's a pretty fun field in London without question. And so, you know, you start to look at the draw this week. Obviously, noticeable number one seeded Rafael Nadal looking for his first title in Paris. I believe he has won this event before it was in Paris, but he is looking, I believe, for his first Paris title. Maybe I messed that up. I'll look that up. We'll get our stat checkers on that immediately. But, you know, he is the number one seed here this weekend. It's going to be fun to watch Rafa in action. He won't kick off his tournament uh, for a little bit of time. You look at the draw, he'll play the winner of Krajinovic Lopez uh, in the round of 32, but the other top seeds here at the event, number eight seed, David Goffin, number four seed, Alex Zverev, number five seed, Rublev back in action, the six seed, Diego Schwartzman, three seed, Daniil Medvedev, seven seeded Matteo Berrettini, and two seed, Stefano Tsitsipas. This is a loaded Paris draw, and in fact, it's funny because there were so many withdrawals coming into this event. You look at it, uh, you know, people who pulled out at the last second, uh, how many lucky losers? I believe there were four lucky losers because, you know, ultimately Dimitrov, Monfils, uh, Bautista, oh, five lucky losers because Dimitrov, Monfils, Bautista, Gut, Fonini, Nishikori, all, oh, excuse me, they, they those weren't lucky losers. That was, Dimitrov was the last lucky losers, but people who pulled out of the event, Monfils, Bautista, Gut, Fonini, Dimitrov, Dominic Team, Christian Guerin, Fernando Verdasco, Paris without pair, no Benoit pair in the event, uh, no Sam Query in the event, no Kyle Edmund in the event, no Shapovalov in the event, uh, right? Uh, you know, all of these players had begun to pull out at the beginning of it, and obviously this is all happening as uh, the middle of as the middle of the, uh, excuse me, as as Paris is in the midst of another lockdown, uh, given their spike in coronavirus numbers. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, look, it, it, I, I think the top seeds still deliver. You look at the top eight seeds and uh, Andre Rublev's going to play because he's as fit as a fiddle. That guy just wants to play tennis at all times. But initially I thought maybe this was a weaker draw in Paris. No, I don't think that's the case because you start to look at some of the other seeds, right? Number 15 seed, Borna Chorich, 14 seed, FAA, the number 9 seed, Pablo Carreno Busta, 11 seed, Hachinov, 16 seed, Demonauer. All these guys are playing the event and you've got the unseeded guys like Struff, like, you know, uh, Hercot, who I guess hasn't been that great of late, but you know, uh, I guess it's when you get towards the depth, the Ugo and Bears and Casper Rudes of the world are great, but it's the Salvatore Caruso's, the, you know, David Fokinas, who gets in as a qualifier, but maybe under normal circumstances might be boxed out because higher ranking players are playing. But still, it's going to be a really fun week of action in Paris. And I recommend all of you check out, you know, uh, our new video series, The Deciding Point. It's something Jamie and I have been working on in the queue. You should be able to see that, uh, I believe, uh, on our YouTube channel, where we're going to talk about the historical context of this draw in Paris. And again, I actually think it, you know, maybe 32 players or maybe players 25 through the rest of the field are a little bit weaker, but the top 25 players in this event, uh, the sort of players you're looking for. So I think it's going to be a really fun field. Uh, of course, we will be talking about that event all week long. And of course, that event happening without fans, uh, given what is going on. They also had to reverse the prize money down this year, uh, just given the circumstances, given everything that's going on. You look at what the prize money is going to be. The winner in singles going to be down to 225000 Fifty thousand for the finalist. That's off of three hundred one and two hundred last year. You know, a thirty-three thousand loss for the quarter fi- or for the semifinalist. Twenty-two thousand for the quarterfinalist. Now, the good news is the round of sixteen is the round of thirty-two, uh, pretty consistent, and then the round of sixty-four payouts exactly the same as our qualifying. But 
you know, obviously that's uh, it, it's just something to note. Certainly, these players are going to be feeling that loss, but that's the action in Paris. We've also got two fun challenger events going on this week. They're playing on the carpet once again in Germany. Number one seeded Camille Matrizak, number two seed Alexi Paparin, the three seed Ilya Vashka, the four seed Evgeny Donskoy. You've got other, you know, phenomenally uh, enjoyable players in the draw: Sebastian Korda, Dustin Brown, Yuri Rodionov, uh, Mark Andre Husler, who's been playing so well of late as well. Torpegard versus Roman Sifilian in round one. That's going to be a really fun battle. So should be a fun week of action in Germany. And then, of course, we've got another challenger going on in Parma this week where we've got Holger Rune, the talented young Dane, making another challenger appearance as a lucky loser. We've also got Federico Gayo in action. We've got Maxime Cressy in action. J.J. Wolf in action. Gregoire Beret, the number one seed. Nikola Miljovic. Uh, it should be a really fun... Ooh, Lorenzo Musetti returning to challenger action as well, the talented young Italian. So it will be a fun week of action. Unfortunately, no Orleans challenger. And is there a little hypocrisy in playing Paris but not playing a challenger level event? One could say yes. One could also say, look, realistically, Paris has the money to at least attempt to create some semblance of a bubble to try and control the environment a little bit. Orleans challenger would probably not have as much access to those resources. But at the same time, you're screwing over the lower ranked players when you challenge those events, but you're allowing the millionaires to go on and play their event. What if you just used the facility in Paris and gave the money-making opportunity to those lower ranked players instead? is a line of thought that I could completely understand. At the same time, welcome to the realities of the world, folks. Unfortunately, no Orleans Challenger this week. And we also learned, by the way, the Nitto ATP Finals, given the situation in London, going to be played behind closed doors. Uh, but they are going to carry on with the event as follows. And with that in mind, let's talk about some of the other headlines for the weekend. And I feel it is worth mentioning, of course, once again, something we haven't talked about um, but, uh, of course, uh, you know, or we talked about it with Jamie the last time he was on the podcast, continuing to be reporting on the Alex Virov story with his ex-girlfriend, Alia Sharipova, Sharipova, uh, of course, Sharipova accusing Alex Virov of uh, physical and emotional abuse during the course of their, I believe, like, 14-month relationship, and, you know, there continues to be more reporting. I, I don't want to get into it because I'm aware of some of the reporting going on, and I'm not supposed to talk about it, but let me just say there continues to be more reporting on the subject, and again, once we have the facts even more concrete. Once we have both players ideally on the record, once or both parties on the record, once again, we'll talk about that more. But uh, it's still, again, I, I know there are some really brilliant reporters, the best in tennis going after the story and, or, you know, looking into the story. And so as more details develop, we will continue to talk about that. Uh, just quickly, some of the other things to talk about, you know, uh, four years ago, 2017-year-old girls, 18s national champion, uh, Ashley Kratzer to look to be one of a, the other young rising stars in American tennis, a decision was finally issued in her tennis anti-doping program case, and I believe she will now be ineligible for the next four years. Obviously, that's a a little bit uh, sad. You never want to see something like that. We also learned that the ITF plans to announce uh, their new ITF World Tennis number, which, according to them, you know, the best way to uh, draw an equivalent, it's going to be very similar to what UTR does with their player ratings. And, you know, to quote the, the press release, the ITF will start using the new World Tennis 
tennis number as one of the criteria to enter ITF tournaments in all categories. Again, uh, UTR worked. American college players, uh, juniors, they love UTR, and clearly the ITF recognizes that. This is their response to that. Uh, It does feel worth noting. Again, and by the way, speaking of UTR, shout out to them for releasing a poll of the top 10 girls and boys high school teams in the U.S. There is nothing that makes me saltier than the idea that this poll didn't exist when we were in high school, because I swear to God, my senior team would have made the list. If Okamos, who has a really good team this year, Okamos, Michigan, uh, they're number eight on the poll. I think our team beats that Okamos team. Our team had some depth. We were... uh not too bad, as Novak Djokovic says. Anyways, you want to inspire tennis at the grassroots level. You want to get these high school kids active and in love with the sport. Do things like this. Football has it. Basketball has it. Why shouldn't high school have it prominently? I know things like this existed in the past, but UTR, the most prominent example of emphasizing high school tennis, really, really excited to see that development. So shout out to you, UTR. A couple of other things real, real quickly. Enrico Riva releasing the most players in the top 1,000 by nation. Really interesting list uh, just to go through the headlines. America at the top with 94, France 86, Italy 78, Spain 56, no other country over 50. You look at the countries, uh, you know, again, you can see that entire list on my Twitter, but I, I just think that's interesting. That's something for us to keep in mind as we head towards the off offseason. Uh, what else do I have for you? I have new ATP board elections. We talked about the ATP politics with Ben Rothenberg and uh, Brett McCormick. Eno Polo, former college player with strong business credentials, including 13 years at Nike, elected to the board. I guess we see what the ATP Player Council is doing. They recognize that, hey, we are in a business crisis, not crisis, but the business of tennis is the biggest question moving forward. That is what is on their mind. And then finally, uh, or two quick things finally, and then I promise we're done. One more stat for you, and then I've got uh, one more stat for you to end, but obviously we learned this past weekend that uh, Simona Hall tested positive for COVID-19. She is self-isolating at home and recovering well from mild symptoms, uh, but obviously we are all wishing her a speedy and safe recovery. And then lastly, this week became the thousandth week in the ATP Top 20 for Roger Federer. The last time he wasn't in the Top 20, here's the list. The Top 10, Safin, Querton, Agassi, Sampras, Norman, Kafilnikov, Hewitt, Raffner, Ferro, Corcia, 11 through 20, Clement, Henman, Urbati, Enquist, Grosjean, Gamble, Philippousis, Squillari, Ferreira, and Andre Pavel. I mean, Ferreira, Philippousis, Gamble, Grosjean, Enquist, Henman. I mean, we see them in the commentary booth, and we still see Roger Federer on court. That's just ridiculous, folks. If that doesn't display his greatness, I don't know what will. But that's today's mini break podcast. Obviously, a lot going on in the tennis world, a lot to update you on. Of course, we'll continue to monitor everything going on throughout this week on this podcast. And of course, if you have missed any of our Cracked Rackets content, be sure to go to our website, crackrackets.com. Last week, our intern, Luke Moorhead, ranked Rafa Nadal's 20 Grand Slam victories. We turned those rankings into videos. Really fun piece of content for all of you to enjoy. We've got some other really fun stuff planned this week. Again, college tennis content about to be coming down the crack Rackets barrel, so be on the lookout for all of that. And again, if you miss any of our content, go to the website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we're at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff for the 
of an editing job they do day in day out shout out of course as well to our friends at midwest sports and aerobar go to midwestsports.com use the promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com use the promo code cracked 15 but with that in mind, for our wonderful friends at Aerobar and Midwest Sports, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Uh, you know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.